0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's September 16th, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter, at Jason underscore OTC. i I'm sorry, X. Uh, We've got to get rid of the uh, Twitter part on that one, don't I? Or you can always email me, Jason at OverTheCap.com. Late night tonight, uh, around 11 o'clock, we're starting this one. Uh, Joined by Nelly the Bunny. Nelly, we have anything here? No? You're just content to hang out once again, so good on Ellie uh for being here once again for this um beer of the evening tonight we've got the sam adams jacko pumpkin ale let me see if i can get that on the little camera there if you're interested in trying that one um it this is not as good as the uh the southern tier pumpkin ale it's a little bit different this one is um probably a little heavier maybe on the pumpkin flavor but there are there's some other stuff there too that's uh and maybe some like a nutmeg flavor, um, something like that. So it's 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 not bad. Um, just not as good as the one from last week. Certainly not as good also as the dogfish head, um, you know, pumpkin one. But uh, not a bad one. Not a not a bad one to uh, you know to give a try to. Um, Jacob had his second football game today. Exciting times. They did a little bit better this week. Still didn't win the game, but that's okay um they they played significantly better so a lot of improvement from uh, week 1 last week which i think i mentioned that that was a, a tough game last week for them uh to how the game went this week which was definitely um much better for the kids uh so that was good um not so good was being a jets fan this past week just uh just brutal um and i guess that's where i'll I'll start today i got the Roger's up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube but um, you know just you just can't even say anything about it it's like you you just feel you just feel as if you're cursed you know as a as a fan of this team and I, I know there's plenty of franchises that feel that way right you don't make the playoffs you don't win championships um, season never seems to work out for you but the jet stuff is just you know you 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 spend the whole offseason kind of dreaming of getting Aaron Rodgers. You then spend kind of two months really kind of chasing after it to make it happen. You go through all the stuff with the hard Knox, the TV stuff. You have all the expectations. You have this crowd. I have never seen, I don't think I've ever seen a crowd like that uh, for a Jets game before. I mean, maybe the playoffs, Uh, When the the Jets hosted back in 2002, Um, you know, maybe maybe something like that, but it it was amazing. I mean, you had everybody in the stadium at kickoff, before kickoff, for introductions. That never happens with the Jets, ever. Uh, We had season tickets for years going to those games, uh, years where the team was obviously very bad, and years where the team was pretty good, and usually people would file into the games. You know, first quarter, you know, the stadium would pack up in the second quarter. Um, you know, it'd be maybe half full at kickoff, maybe a little bit more than that, depending on the time of the year. But uh, you know, they they were ready to go. Um, seemed like a great environment. Seemed like a lot of fun. And four plays in, it was just just a nightmare. Um, now the Jets did come back and win that game. You know, there's. Uh, they played hard, you know. The the guys on defense played hard. Um, Garrett Wilson made a great catch in the end zone. Uh, that was as good of a catch as you can ever see. Um, just tremendous play on the ball. Uh, love listening to him after the game too. Uh, if you happen to catch his interview, I think it was on ESPN um, that I watched his uh, interview on there. I um, know it was probably NBC still uh, where they had him on and. Yeah, just pretty humble about the whole thing and, you know, everything that uh, he expects to do. And, you know, no craziness of, yeah, you know, I practice that all the time. It was just, you know, I'm trying to make a play on a on on the football, um, you know, and do something with it. And it was spectacular catch. Uh, Josh Allen was awful for Buffalo. Uh, it was very reminiscent of the Bills game last year against the Jets. It was a game that... Uh, I I know people get upset when you hear this, but it's a game the Bills lost more than anything else. Um, Josh Allen was on two of those interceptions that he threw to Jordan Whitehead, who had an awesome game. Um, It was as if Whitehead was his receiver. I mean, they they were just awful passes. Um, It was, you only live once, Josh Allen. Um, He was back once again in that game. You know, He's got the play, fumbles the snap, tries to run with it, fumbles it again. Uh, running into his own guy. Mark Sanchez made a neat little comment about that on Twitter, um, you know, kind of tongue in cheek thing. And that, that was pretty funny. Uh, you know, Whitehead's third interception. That was a good play. Um, that, that was, you know, just a really good defensive job by the Jets. Uh, Jets did, you know, pressure him. They got after him and everything else. Um, you know, but that, that was a game really that the defense kept them in the game, but it's really a game. Josh Allen lost. Um, the, the kind of yardage that they were, the way they were moving the ball, especially early at times, you know, they they should have put up a lot more points. Um, Allen just kind of played really terrible. Uh, he said it after the game. You know, he said, "I'm the reason we lost the game," and um, certainly wasn't wrong about that. But you know, it it is it's really tough. Um, you know, if you're a Jets fan, like they, this is just a tough one to uh, to deal with. Um, now I'll talk about the contract that's, that's up here in a minute, but the, this is a real, real, real hard one to, uh, you know, to deal with. It's you're basically right back where you were last year. I mean, the, the only difference at all is that a couple of the young guys from last year are going to have an extra year of experience. Um, you're probably not going to get a better season out of Wilson. You're not going to get a better season out of Gardner. You might get the same years out of him, uh, which would be great. Um, you're probably not going to get better um, than that. spot where you might get better, you know, Johnson, you know, he's got a, a new year, um, second year. So, you know, and he had a sack, I think, in the game. But, uh, you know, it, it was just a just a gut punch. You know, you're back out there now with Zach Wilson and, you know, I, I don't know what you can really expect there. You know, the, the Jets can say everything they want. You know, the head coach, um, you know, coming out and saying he's awesome and saying this is our guy, this is what we're going to do, this is who we're going to stick with. I um, Understand it, understand why you're saying that stuff. And, you know, for a couple of weeks you certainly have to do that. But, you know, you have to have this kid now have this kind of miracle turnaround of a career. Um, You know, everybody likes to point to the the Josh Allen year three. Um, You know, it's a rarity that you see that kind of breakout from someone who is relatively inept in the first two years um, to somehow becoming a uh, above average, um, you know, dangerous quarterback, uh, you know, out there. And certainly in game one, Wilson didn't look at there was no awesome play. I mean, that that's just you know, I get it. You know, the the confidence that you're trying to to do there. And you talk about him being humbled last year and being humbled with the team chasing Aaron Rodgers. But you know, you you put on such a full court press over Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it, it's hard to come back and say that, you know, you've got all this faith in the world in Zach Wilson and you thought like, you know, he was in a he was in a good position anyway. Um with the team, because obviously, you know, you, you're not going after Aaron Rodgers the way you do if you had any thought that Zach Wilson could be a competent NFL quarterback. Um, so I, I don't know. You know, it, you can say it, but it's just lip service. You know, no, nobody's going to believe it um, until something possibly changes on the field. And I mean, you watched him play. I mean, they, they, they were calling a game as if they didn't have a quarterback. That, that's basically what they were doing. Um, you know, the couple of times, like, he had the ball in his hands. I mean, it, it's an adventure every play. Uh, wherever the ball goes, you know, you, you watch him taking, you know, 20-step drops. I mean, he's just, you know, backpedal, backpedal, pass rush comes, and he just takes off going in the wrong direction. Um, you know, there, there were a couple times I thought he was going to take giant sacks. He did throw the ball away, so... That was at least a positive. And you see people calling for him to be a game manager, calling for the Jets to make him a game manager. I think at this point what you have to do is you have to let the kid sink or swim. Um, I, I don't think his skill set really has anything to do with being a game manager in the NFL. There are there are a lot of people that I think kind of get confused, and they think game manager just kind of means bad quarterback who is there to hand the ball off a couple of times and you know let the defense kind of win the game. And that's not really a game manager. That's just a guy that happens to be playing quarterback. A game manager is more more or less someone who can you know make the easy throws, uh, somebody that can make your, you know, your basic standard NFL stuff, um, you know, can understand something with the defense. You know, they're able to read the defense in certain ways, uh, to where they can do some things. They're not going to be able to create big plays for the most part. Um, they're going to go out there and if you get them into third and manageable, they'll have a chance at least of picking up a first down. Um, they play in a way where they're probably not turning the ball over left and right. They're not a liability on the field in any way until you get into a game that is either a a shootout or B is a game where you have to come from behind. Then that kind of quarterback becomes a liability uh, simply because they don't have that, they don't have that ability in their arm. Um, you know, they don't have that kind of talent to throw you back into a game. Yeah, might they have one game in a season where they can do that? Sure. But, you know, it's it's not something that you're going to be able to do over the course of 17 games. Zach Wilson, that that is in no way, shape, or form Zach Wilson's skill set. Um, Zach Wilson's skill set is he can move a little bit, uh, sometimes in the wrong direction. But, you know, he can move a little bit and he's got a live arm. Um, you know, when, when people go back and they like to show that uh, pass that he made on his pro day, and he did that once in an actual NFL game too, where, you know, you, you're running across the field, next thing you know, you're throwing across your body, uh, your body 40 yards down the field, you know, that's pretty pretty freaking impressive. Um, that's what he can do. But if, if you go out there and you think he's going to run this little dink and dunk offense where... You know, you can just hand the ball off and you're you're just gonna pound the ball, you know, down the throat of the other team and um you know, then the defense is gonna do amazing things. I just think that's really far fetched. I I just don't think that is something that is in his playbook, um, you know, that that's just not something that he can do. And, you know, just having a guy there to hand the ball off, which is I think what people kind of expect him to do, and more or less what he did this um, you know, this past game, you know, that that's not a winning formula. You know, you, you look at this game and, look, everyone's got to be happy that you won the game, right? But you, you talk about the Jets' defense and the things they can do, and, number one, it's really hard for defenses to play at that kind of level two years in a row. Um, very difficult. Now, the Jets did it once before, 2009-2010, you can argue which which group was better. Um, I think the 2009 group was probably better, but they, they were still pretty good in 2010. And there were some things that they did better in 2010, uh, specifically, I think, in coverage back then that they, they upgraded when they brought in Antonio Cromartie um, versus... Who was their number two in 2000? Lito Shepherd, maybe? I don't... Uh, anyway... You know, they, they were able to do that then. And, you know, the the Patriots are able to kind of scheme through some stuff year over year and usually be pretty productive with the, the players that they have. Um, but the, that that's hard to get. And you, you don't read into one game. You know, the, the Jets may have a really great defense. The Bills may have a really bad offense, you might find out this year. You know, the the Bills are getting a little long in the tooth, um, said this before, that, you know, I've kind of thought that window is closed, and that they did not do a great job, I think, in saying we need to take a step back before we can take a step forward. You know, I, I don't think that the, the Buffalo Bills are necessarily going to be as good as we think. So, you know, and this this applies to all teams in the NFL. You wait really until week three, week four at this point now to really start to get a feel for these teams. But anyway, even if we assume that the Jets defense is fantastic, um look at what happened in the game this week. Um you know, and I, I don't know why I was saying NBC before, no, it was everything was ESPN. I'm getting mixed up with the Sunday night, Monday night stuff. Um anyway. It was, uh, you know, you you look at what they did. The Jets turned the team over four times. Four times the Bills turned that ball over. The Jets scored a special teams touchdown. They had at least two big runs from Hall. You know, they they did everything you could imagine. They had a spectacular catch for a touchdown from Wilson that might have been intercepted if he doesn't make that catch. And the Jets went into overtime which is where they got the special teams touchdown, and they won by six points. That's not a sustainable way to win in the NFL. Even last year, if we look at the Jets' wins, the way that they, they pulled out a couple of those games, it's not a sustainable formula. You know, and again, you, you take off the Jet glasses and you, you look at other teams in the league, What do you think, what did you think going into the season about Minnesota? Did you think Minnesota was a team that what they did last year was sustainable? No. And they're 0-2. Instead of winning these games that were close, uh, the Vikings have lost those games so far. It's just two games in for them. Did you think the Giants were legitimate? And after one game, they looked terrible. That was your Sunday nighter. Oof. That was a bad game. I feel bad for the Giants fans as well. After uh, that debacle, you know, it, it's not it's not really a way to you know go out there and play to, to expect those same kind of um, balls to break in your direction um, two years in a row. So, you know, the the Jets need to figure out. Something, um, you know, that they can do. I think at the quarterback position. Um, now, I'm not saying you don't give Wilson a shot. You know, I, I think I think Wilson is a player that you have to give a shot to. Um, you, know, I, I, certain, here, um, you know, but I I'm not certain. Check this here. You know, but I'm not certain that there's much. Anything out? Um, anything else out there? I'm just taking a look um to see if they did anything today, but now it's just Tim Boyle looks like promoted to backup. Um, you know, now it's one of these things where people start making these, you know, pie in the sky dream name. Oh, you're gonna bring in Matt Stafford, you're gonna bring in this guy. Even when you go to some of these other teams, why would another team give you their backup quarterback? Because if they lose their quarterback, then they'd find themselves in the same situation you're in right now. So you're not going to get a backup quarterback from a team, at least not right now. Uh, You know, maybe you can pull somebody if a team completely falls apart. You know, would Minnesota trade Kirk Cousins and would Kirk Cousins agree to it? I mean, possible. Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill, I I would think that one is um, much more likely. You know, it's a ridiculous amount of money you would have invested in the quarterback. But, I mean, maybe that's an opportunity. But more realistically, you're looking at bringing in someone like a, um, you know, Colt McCoy, Carson Wentz. Uh, I wouldn't touch Matt Ryan. I wouldn't really want to touch Carson Wentz either. But um, beggars can't be choosers, right? You're just taking a guy that can play at the NFL level, um, you know, who happens to be available. And I understand they don't want to bring in someone that could maybe be looked at as competition for Wilson. But you have to bring somebody in um, that's there for insurance. And, you know, the, the best case scenario is Wilson plays great. Uh, but you have to be prepared for the fact that he may look just like he did last year. Um, alienate half the team. Alienate the fan base with his play. Have um, attitude and everything else, um, and then you've got nobody to turn to. And even if things go well for Wilson, Wilson has also been a little bit injury prone um, in his short NFL career. So you know who knows how he's going to last, and he probably won't for the season. And then you're down to Tim Boyle, and I don't know who who would the backup be at that point. I, I don't even know who the Jets have you know on the roster, um, you know at this point. I think that you've got to bring somebody in. You have him here to, to learn, try to learn the system a little bit, ride the bench for a couple of weeks. You see what Wilson can do for three weeks. You know, luckily you've got one win already, so you can drop a couple of games. But what you can't do if you're the Jets is go into this and go, okay, Zach Wilson is our guy, and we're going to go with him. We're going to go with him. We're going to go with him. Have him go 0 and 3 and look terrible, or even 1 and 2 and look terrible. And you still don't have a quarterback on your roster. You know, it becomes a lot harder, I think, at that point. You know, to bring somebody in and have it impact you because it's still going to take a couple weeks to get somebody up to speed. Um, you know, even if you really, even if you trade for somebody, then at the deadline, um, you know, a couple with a couple weeks uh, kind of lost to the Wilson experiment you're losing out a lot and there's no guarantee you're going to be able to get that trade. So I don't know why the, the Jets really haven't been more proactive in doing that, unless I've missed something. Um, but I, I think you can bring one of those guys in. Uh, you know, Wentz is scary, but and maybe you've got something there. McCoy, I mean, McCoy is someone that can, he is someone that can manage a game. You know, he's not going to, he's not going to win anything for you. Um, but you know he can be competent in certain game type situations, and you know that's kind of what you need. Uh, as for Rogers, you know I've had a lot of people ask me about his contract now, and normally I would post an article on it. I didn't even want to talk about it you know when when this all happened, it was like i don't even want to talk about this it's like i'm just I just can't believe that this is what's happened. You know, I I was just didn't even touch it. I'll let somebody else do it. But, you know, week remove, we can kinda of look at it. So, you know, Rogers' salary for next year is guaranteed. Um Rogers was talking about coming back this year for the playoffs. I would think if the Jets make the playoffs, to be honest, um they would not go to Rogers unless it was a really weird way that they made the playoffs. Um in the sense that somehow they made it, even though Wilson was just atrocious, uh, and that they stuck with him for the whole year, you know, then then you would make that turn. But that would be like a miracle recovery from this type of injury that he got. Uh, But I I don't believe that he'll retire off that injury now. It's a really hard injury to come back from. Uh, But I, I don't think he'll retire. But his salary is guaranteed. All of this money that's here is guaranteed. Um, so he has next year a $35 million bonus plus a salary of about $3 million. Uh, this year he had a $35 million bonus plus a salary of about, uh, 1.8, 1, 1.9 million with the workout bonus kind of in there too. Um, the Jets, I, I don't know if the Jets have insurance on the contract or not. Uh, there's teams that do that with a lot of players, um, I do know that the, the Jets put in many contracts that they do have insurance on them. But sometimes you just kind of put that in there so you don't have to redo a contract if you actually do take out a policy on the player. Um, so it, it might depend on, on that. If they did take out a policy, uh, what will happen is they'll get reimbursed for games missed based on whatever they took out. Um, you know it might be against the way the proration works rather than a you know a lump payout so you know you, you kind of paid even though it wasn't paid i don't believe as a signing bonus thing it was paid as a roster bonus um you know it is something that prorates over seven years sometimes in these policies you cover the signing bonus proration um you know in each individual year so for you know an injury that occurred this year if rogers was incapable of playing in 2024 2025 each year, maybe you would recover $7 million. The that you get back on those policies, um, basically you'll get credits for it, and this number here will drop down based on how much money you got back. You know, It's it's as if the signing bonus would get revalued every year. Uh, but again, his is a little different because of roster bonus, but um, I don't even know if they, they definitely had a policy for him or not. Uh, if Rogers were to retire, um, the dead money next year would be 28 million. So the reason that it's lower than you know what it would show here is they would not owe him this money, and you wouldn't pay out that extra 35 million. So all these 14s would drop down to seven million. This seven million would drop to zero. So you'd have 28 million in cap charges to deal with. Um, most likely they would um, I think just take the the hit all at once um I'm not gonna get into the fact that i I don't know if, if things go really bad this year I, I who knows what's gonna happen with the head coach general manager um, in that case you know you, you, I could see a situation though where you're just kind of like you know it's 28 million let's just let's just get it over with and just take it all at once. But if he was going to retire, and let's say that all happened, he would redo his contract again, and the Jets would basically have a cap charge next year, about $8 million during free agency, um, $7 million thereafter, and then they would defer $21 million to 2025. Now, because Rogers' salary is guaranteed next year, that gives him even more incentive to probably want to come back and play. So, obviously you're going to pick that up. So at that point, then the the main numbers kick in, Um, which would be the dead money here, which is you'd have to deal with 49 million in 2025, uh, depending on where he goes. You know, that's where things stand with his contract right now, um, you know, with the Jets. But you know, right now, this is uh, Zach Wilson's team, so we're gonna have to see what happens with Wilson and um. You know we'll we'll deal with the Rogers stuff later on, um, and you know if his dolphin music thing if that works for him then uh, maybe I'll try that too for you know all the, uh, the old age kind of stuff that goes on. <laughs> so um, yeah, you know that that's the that's the Rogers thing. But uh, sucky week, you know, if a Jets fan. Um, let's see, where do I want to go next here? Do I want to go Joe Burrow or Chris Jones? Let's do Chris Jones. Let's uh, let's go into that here. So Chris Jones uh, has the arguably the worst holdout of all time. Um, Cam Chancellor you could argue is worse. I think Chancellor missed two games, but that was under a different collective bargaining agreement. So the penalties in that case, he did give up his um, you know the money his salary for the games that he missed. And I don't recall off the top of my head. I think they they still invoke their ability to, um, you know, to to recapture his uh, some of his bonus money through forfeiture. Uh, but I think they waived the fines that he had accrued. Um, for Jones, this is a situation where you can't do that. So now, what teams have done in the past, like Dallas, for example, with Zach Martin, they basically paid the fines for him. It was like, okay, well, you've got I don't know, however much in fines. I don't remember the the number for him, but let's say it was five hundred thousand dollars. They'd agreed to a contract that was basically, um, say, sixteen million a year, but we'll actually pay sixteen five, so that'll cover your, um, you know, your bonus mo- or your. Uh, money that you you have to pay in fines. You know, we're going to cover it for you. Uh, Kansas City didn't do that here. Um so Chris Jones forfeited on the season. Um you know, in the ballpark of probably 2.5 million through fines. Uh sat out workout so he gave up a $500,000 workout bonus and he missed a week of the season. Um you know, he's scheduled to make 195 in season, so that's a little over a million dollars. Um, you know, that he gave up. So he ends up signing a new contract with Kansas City. It's pretty creative. Uh, I'll talk about that part in a minute. Um, But really nothing changes. And I I don't know if there was a a lack of understanding or whatever, but um, I know somebody had put on Twitter. Ari? I I, I can't remember. Um, But somebody put on there like, you know, I hope Chris Jones got his money back. You know, that that kind of statement. And he replied to it and said he did. And then you find out he didn't. You know, so I, I don't know if that's where you have a disconnect where your representation tells you something that is sort of true, but not exactly. And I, I don't even know if it would really be considered... Um, You know, exactly true. Um, I'm seeing if I have the incentives right in front of me. I know I have them. Let me see if I have them. Uh, Let me see if I have them here. Let me see. Chris Jones. Chris Jones... Doo, doo, doo. Incentives, yeah, here we go. So, the incentives that he got that would cover most of what he lost. Um. So just so you know, this 10 sacks was already there. Um, What you've got here is he'll get a million dollars if he plays 35% of the snaps. He'll get another million dollars if he plays fifty percent of the snaps, so that comes close to covering his fines, um, not completely, but you know it, it should come close to that. But you're signing a contract at the same time that you just saw Aaron Rodgers go down four plays into the season. That's kind of a tough time to be like, "Oh, well, these are a lock." You know, it's never a lock. You never know what can happen. The the league is very unforgiving in that manner this very clearly is is not a lock um for him to earn now if he's healthy he's going to earn it. It, it this is not a number the numbers on this are not high enough for the chiefs to somehow manipulate it to where he wouldn't get paid um you know but that that would be pretty pretty hard to do but you know, you're talking about somebody that gave up, um, you know, two million or so in fines, a million or so in salary, a $500,000 workout bonus. And these incentives that are in the contract that, that raise the value up to whatever, um, you know, there's only a very, there's only a small chance that he's going to earn that money back. Uh, Ten sacks gets him $1.25 million. That was already in his contract. So that didn't change. So, what did they add here? You know, they, they added an extra 500000 if he gets 15 sacks. Um, they added a million dollars if he's a first team All Pro and they appear in the Super Bowl. And they'll give him $2 million if he's the defensive player of the year and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. I mean, th- these are impossible numbers. Um, you know, to to go out there and and earn. Um, you know, and even if you look at these, if if our snaps are accurate here, and sometimes things get thrown off, um, you know, with some of the stuff, and you know, I could look at it, but uh, you know, you can even see here. I mean, yeah, he's always over fifty, but outside of last year, you know, who knows? And he's already missed the the one game. I, I'm not. He's probably playing this week. But, you know, the more games you miss, the more at risk you are for possibly missing something. But anyway, um, you know, it's like you, you've got this thing where people are going to say, well, you know, now you can earn $25 million or $26 million, And it's like, these are really, really, really hard things to earn. So what did you get out of this? Like, I, I don't know what the, the end game was in this whole thing. Like... There has to be a point in time where you realize that the team is dead serious. We are not doing what you want. We are not following this Aaron Donald model. It doesn't exist. It's not realistic. It's not happening. Like, they set that in stone. It's very clear that that part of this was laid out. Once that is laid out, and they are not going to do that, You either have to report to camp at that time and say, okay, battle lost, I'm going to play this out. And we'll see what happens next year. Or, you know, you you come into this and, you know, you you wind up in, you know, a situation where, you know, you take that short-term extension they were offering you that basically guarantees you your money next year. You know, whatever those figures were, um, that it would guarantee it for you. You know, they didn't do that. They carried this into the regular season and you got nothing out of it. You know, this is a way worse deal than what would have come if you just said, okay, I'll take the extension that you're offering. You know, that, that's a that's a good deal. Now, I'm not saying that they had to take that exact extension, but you could have worked off those numbers. You know, if the reported numbers were like 27.5, you probably could have gotten them to 28.5, 29 in terms of new money, um, you know, on two years. And they were looking to guarantee most of it. So, you know, you, you would have been in a, in a pretty decent spot. And instead, you end up with nothing. And they still have the ability to franchise tag you. Um, you know the tag should be based on you know the, the salary that it earns this year about thirty million, and then these incentives will carry over. Now they're done a little uniquely here, so I'm not hundred percent certain they'd carry over, but I, I think they would. Um, you know, and you you look at these two uh, if those are in there, obviously that would be a um, you know pretty solid thing that you can get now. It's possible, I guess, if he earns all this stuff, maybe the tag will be calculated off of these because what they did is they wrapped these up in an option bonus. And I, I thought this was real creative. Um, I'm not sure if I've seen a team do this before. So there have been some interesting things that have gone on through the years with certain types of contracts and certain things that teams have done to try to manipulate cap stuff. Um you know, and the, the Chiefs did something pretty unique a couple of years ago when they'd signed Darrell Revis, uh, where they basically came up with a guaranteed roster bonus for the following year that was an incentivized roster bonus. And the reason for that was Revis had offsets on his Jets contract. And any money that he would have earned basically would have gone back to the Jets. So they came up with a way that was really cool that... He would technically earn that for his play in whatever year that was, 2017, know, something like that. But he wouldn't get paid it until 2018. And that would get around the offset, even though the earnings came prior year. So in this case, what they needed to do was come up with a, a unique way um, you know, to keep these incentives from hitting the cap. So I I had somehow my timeline got filled with something where a bunch of people were saying that any incentive signed in season is automatically considered not likely to be earned. Now, you just think about that. How ridiculous would that be, um, you know, if that was the case? You know, you could go out there and you could go sign Tom Brady, um, you know, and you could say, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a contract for the minimum of 1.165 million, but if you throw for one yard, you get 40 million dollars. Oh, but it doesn't count on the cap because it's you know in season, like that doesn't make any sense. Like it just doesn't even pass a smell test. The way that incentives work in the NFL, if you add an incentive to an existing contract in the regular season, all right. They consider it automatically likely to be earned because you're doing this after the season began. So, because of that, all of these incentives, uh, six point seven five million, would have counted on the salary cap um, in a standard contract, and then the Chiefs, you know, wouldn't have had the cap room to deal with it. Um, just pulling up their numbers here. You know the Chiefs right now have about two million in cap room, so you know you you increase that number by you know another four million or so, and then the Chiefs have to restructure more contracts to make the numbers work out. What they ended up doing was it, it these are kind of tricks that were done um, really going back to twenty ten. When you're looking at old rookie contracts and when you're looking at when that CBA expired and some of the different rules that they had in place, you had to get creative to do certain things. And some of those rules actually popped up at the end of this past CBA as well. And so what you do in this case, uh, they threw an option bonus in his contract that would be due in like February or something like that um, for like $100. Because it's got to have some kind of financial value and you have to pick up something so you're picking up these random void years here in like 2028 20, um you're opting into something that automatically voids um you know the end of league year but um you know what that allowed them to do was have this option bonus um that's incentivized so it's a hundred dollars at its base value but if he plays 30 percent of the time it'll be one point uh one million dollar one million one hundred um, you know, if you place the 50%, then it escalates to $2 million plus the $100 there. And that's how it works. So instead of the 675 um, all taken here, what you're doing is you're taking the 675 and you're dividing it over five years. So it's still considered likely to be earned, as far as I know. Um, you know, and you, you prorate those costs. Now, why am I showing his cap number is only $80 in 2024 when obviously you see all these numbers? I'm just doing it because I don't know what incentives he'll earn. So the only thing I know is there is absolutely a sunk cost of $80 from the $100 part of the bonus. Um, you know, And then that number will change based on what he does or doesn't earn. And if he doesn't earn anything, the Chiefs will get credit. So these will all drop to $20. If he doesn't earn a thing and because of that you know they they would have a charge in here of 1.35 million um what i'm saying in here that's in his prorated bonus this year so on top of his uh original signing bonus and whatever restructure money uh has been in his contract from the last couple of years um you know that you would get a credit on that in 2024. so let's say here nothing you would get a credit in 2024 of 1.35 million. It would that would be your offset for what was here. Um, so you know the the Chiefs will, will net out things pretty much perfectly um, with the way they did this contract. So I thought that was pretty unique. I I, I thought it was um, just a really cool way to approach it. I can't think of another deal that was like that. You know, like I said, I've seen. I've definitely seen roster bonuses that are incentivized. I'm not sure if I've ever seen an option that's incentivized. And I thought this was just a real unique way to get there, um, you know, to kind of solve a contract issue for them. But yeah, in terms of like a holdout, I mean, th- this has got to be the, the worst holdout that the NFL, you know, on a player side has ever, ever seen. So, yeah, sorry, I had to just uh, run and grab another drink. Um, you know, that, that was a uh, just a really kind of unique thing. Um, I can't think of too many other ones that had, at least recently, um, that had the options kind of done this way. Maybe the Eagles did something like this. Uh, I know, like, with Carson Wentz, it was probably done that way, but that was very different. That, that was... Not hiding cap charges in a given year, the, which this was. I thought this was just a cool way to uh, kind of manipulate, um, excuse me, some numbers there. Um, so I thought this was a, a pretty good one, and maybe it's something that we'll see some other other teams kind of do here and there to. Um, you know, if you do have a holdout that kind of drags in the regular season, but yeah, th- this was a really bad job by uh, Chris Jones's camp, I think, to to let things get this far, because it en- it ends up hurting him in the long run, uh, really for no good reason. All right, let's move on to Joe Burrow. Uh, this actually ended up being a little bit more interesting than I thought it would be. So Burrow signs the $55 million a year contract. Um, I mentioned that last week. And, you know, this is a great contract for him. Um, this is a great contract for the position. It, it's, a, it's a contract that will really move things um, from where they are. Now, Cincinnati completely breaks here. Um, so the $55 million a year is kind of what I thought it would be. So you've got forty-six-five that's fully guaranteed. Um, you know, it's signing and then you've got, uh, how much? 2.19 guaranteed for injury. I think it is. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, 2.19, uh, guaranteed for injury. Um, you know, those numbers are huge. You know, he's almost at Watson's guarantee on the injury side of it. Um, you know, he's 10 million more than Lamar Jackson, 11 million more than Lamar Jackson and in injury protection. Um, now it, that's not the, 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 new guarantee, right? We, we back out existing money, you know, and some of the stuff that is comical and, you know, people fall for this hook, line and sinker, um, And I do think it should be included because, you know, these negotiations began, you know, probably before this training camp roster bonus was due. But of that 219 and the 146, it includes this roster bonus that not only was part of his other contract, but it was already paid out like a month ago uh, before he signed this deal. it's kind of silly to, to go there and say, well, you know, the guarantee also includes this 4.5. Like, okay, I I get it. You know, you're kind of negotiating with that in there. So we'll throw it in there. We'll include it. Um, not really the case. Uh, one of the other things I should mention here, he did get 17, uh, the additional game checks for his 2023 and 2024 existing salaries. Uh, Justin Herbert, I don't believe did. Um, So, you know, that that makes his numbers a little bit more impressive overall as well. But this roster bonus one, it was funny because, you know, when the the numbers come out on it and you see people tweeting about it and, you know, everybody tweets the same thing. Um, you know, I probably should change this. So Joe Burrow technically got a roster bonus. I probably should put a signing bonus because that's what it was really meant to be. Um anyway it's not that big of a deal but you know people were looking at this number the cash number and it was like wow you know joe burrow gets um you know this much money by you know this year and next year and you know they're they're throwing in these numbers so this is how much money he makes um over his original contract so it's not year by year that's uh um, you know, in this. Uh, and I can look up the cash summary here. Let me see if I have that on here, down here. Uh, let me see the history tab. I think I'll have the cash. So, yeah. So, you know, what was being brought up was, um, you know, this number, like, you know, he gets 45 this year, 65 next year. And they're breaking down how it how it works out. It's like, you know, he's got this roster bonus of this much. He's got a, a four point five million dollar roster bonus. It's like, why are you reporting this as if it's this new part of a contract? It's like I, I get it. You you you're regurgitating what you get from someone. This was this was earned in early August. Anyway, I just find that kind of funny. Um But in terms of everything else, I mean, this is just a massive contract. And, you know, not not even getting to the the whole part of the Bengals breaking from their norms uh, with stuff. Look at how this deal compares to Herbert's deal, which was the top of the market deal. And very clearly Herbert should have waited. And this was smart on the Chargers. Because, you know, people were asking me about this contract. Um you know, and talking about structure. And you know, I was talking about backloading and frontloading, and this is clearly a front-loaded contract. People get a little confused with that because the cap numbers often run in an opposite direction. And you know, they're saying how this was really good for the Bengals. This was the Bengals really getting taken uh completely through. You know, people were asking me about you know, why did they do this? Why did they do that? And did they do it for this reason? Did they do it for that reason? And the way I look at it is, I think Cincinnati went into this probably with a legitimate offer on the table, not like playing any kind of crazy games. Um, a legitimate offer that was very high in cash and very low on guarantees. Um, you know, and that, that's exactly what they've done in the past with pretty much all their players. I think what happened is Burroughs Camp just held firm on those guarantees and then once they agreed to um you know to give on the guarantees I think at that point it was just like well you already offered us 55 a year with these great cash terms like we're not giving that up because you're giving us guarantees like that that was kind of the way that it felt to me like there are trade-offs sometimes where you will guarantee as a team. You'll guarantee more money, and in return, you'll modify the, you know, kind of the cash expectations on a contract. Clearly, this didn't happen here. Um, you know, and when you get into it, you know, I, I don't really get wrapped up in the guarantees for the quarterbacks, but the cash flows to me, this is game changer kind of stuff, because you look at these increases. Over the next two years, Herbert earns $40 million over his original contract. Burrow earns $76.2 million, you know, over it. Through the end of year one, so the first new year of the contract, which means when he completes 2025, he'll he'll have earned 11, uh, $111.46 million um, of his $275 million contract. Isn't that what it is? Um, yeah, 275. Herbert will earned a hundred million, you know, which is nothing obviously to laugh at, but you know, this is a significant jump up. Second year, Herbert's at 124, 146, Seven. huge, 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 huge numbers. Now we've got 183, Nine to 160. This is through three years. You know, I mean, th- this is like a massive differential. You know, wh- when you you think about it, this is, uh, you know, sixty one million dollars a year. You know, versus just a you know your standard, not standard. I mean, but you know your your basic you know something that's in line. Um, you know, with his contract value at fifty two five. Now the numbers then begin to come closer because what they did is they front loaded the cash and the contract gets cheaper on the back end for Cincinnati. So in the year 4 he's at 224.46 million and Herbert's at 212. Uh year 5 we pull a little bit closer 275 to 262.5. So, and don't worry about these, these there's just void years in there. That's why those numbers are all there. So, you know, yeah, the 55 to 52.5 is a pretty big jump, but it doesn't look like a monumental jump. But when you look at these numbers for year zero, year one, year two, year three, these are massive changes for the quarterback position. And, you know, these set new standards, new norms that will impact every team in the NFL. This, these numbers are not going to change. The next time when Trevor Lawrence is looking for an extension, assuming he plays well, you know, this is the numbers that he's going to work off of. He's going to look to get to, say, 57 with this same kind of structure. You know, we're you're going to look at over the the existing years. You know, an extra eighty million dollars, uh, one fifteen through year one, one fifty through year two, one eighty five through year three. You know, you're probably one eighty seven through year three. You know, you're constantly building on that, and this is such a big jump. It, it's not these little incremental, like, well, you know, we're going to be a little bit better than the last guy. Um, you know, these these are legitimate market moves. Uh, Let me just bring up Lamar Jackson's numbers here, you know, because he's probably the next guy at 51. And, you know, you you can see, you know, he was at 112. Herbert got to 124. This is through two years. And we're at 146 for Burrow. Um, You know, now Herbert got the big jump. And this was probably the one thing that could have helped Burrow in his, his numbers here. Lamar Jackson was at 80 million cash through the first new year. Um, Herbert was able to get a hundred million. And I remember when that deal came out specifically saying it was pretty heavy on cash in that first year, I should say, you know, some people don't like when you, you do it that way, but then they'll, they'll compare everything else in that same system, but whatever, um, you know and but the other stuff was not that big of a move right we're at 112 to 124 and as i mentioned we've gone from 124 to 146 146 7 and lamar jackson and herbert was you know again minimal increase 156 to 160 208 to 212 260 260 25 so outside of that first year where there was a big jump you know the other stuff was a little bit more incremental you didn't get that here. Year three, you got a $23.9 million bump over the last guy. That's just huge. And you know that that is something that other agents will build on when their quarterbacks are going to come up for, for new deals. Um, I don't know what Dallas is going to do with Dak Prescott. This is not that dissimilar from when he became a free agent the last time in the sense that they just didn't have any other options. Um, you know and you feel like the same thing is going to happen here, but uh you know this this completely moves the market for quarterbacks and you know it has to be something where um i'm not saying like you're taking a victory lap, but i would think if you represent a quarterback, you've got to be thrilled um you know at this deal. I, I think you absolutely a hundred percent have to be thrilled, um, you know, with this contract. Uh, I'm just seeing if I got anything here. Somebody just sent something. Uh, no, not that important. Somewhat, yeah, not, not 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 that big of a thing. Um, you know, now as for the cap. You know, they, they they did take a l- little bit more of a steady approach than Herbert. Herbert's got like a backloaded deal. But your structure-wise on this, you very much have a, a contract that runs like uh, Jalen Hurts's deal. This contract has this multiple option bonuses in it. Um, so you can see that the, this year you've got the signing bonus plus this existing proration. Um, you know you've got another option in this year. Then you've got a ten million dollar option. I think this year. Uh, you've got another ten, another ten. Basically, every year is like a ten million dollar option kind of stuff. Maybe at the end it gets down to five million. Um, you know, and it prorates through that they've got all these void years and stuff in there. So, you know, it's a pretty aggressive structure, uh, but it's the Bengals. The Bengals don't move on from players. Now, I know that sounds silly to say the same week they cut Collins, but in general, the the Bengals don't move on from players, especially players they put this kind of financial commitment to. Um, If Joe Burrow turns into Carson Wentz, these guys aren't going to care. They're going to look at how much was invested in him in 2023, 2024, um, in 2025, and say we're sticking with this guy until at least 2028. You know that that's that's basically the way that it would work. Um, you know, I, the the expectation is that you're going to extend him again. Uh, you know, towards the end of the contract, but you know who knows when it when it comes to you know the the way that you know the people play sometimes. I didn't really get a lot of questions about this contract in particular about out years and everything else, but just know that these guarantees all kick in. So in other words, this salary is guaranteed here, right? Um, This one here doesn't factor into our dead money yet because it's not guaranteed. It becomes guaranteed in um, fifth day of the league year in 2025. So around March 19th, um, give or take a couple of days in 2025 is 2026 salary is guaranteed. So, you know, that that increases this dead money um you know from 57 to 93, I think. Um cuz these other that this bonus will move over here as well. So, I think 93. So, you know, it, from that perspective, you know, 2028 is Probably your first year, you'd you'd be looking at doing anything, but I don't think any of that will happen. You know, I I think they took a reasonable charges here. Um, You know, they'll be net negative over the first two years of the deal based on where they were on the original contract, but I don't think that's really that bad of a thing. Um, You know, and then you, you will steady on the cap charges, 46, 48, 52, 53, 57. So... I think that probably works out okay for them if Burrow plays incredibly well. You know, so I, I think that um, I think the structure on this is decent, but it, it's very aggressive from a cash perspective. Um, you know, for for Cincinnati, but uh, you know, as long as he plays well. I think they'll they'll be okay. Certainly they'll be okay with their cap structure because they're not going to be worried about having to release him, trade him, uh, move on the way that, you know, the Wentzes and the Goffs of the world um, kind of found themselves in that position. So, you know, I, I thought that was, uh, you know, really a terrific contract for him. Um, minor note on the salary cap stuff, I did update all the 2024 numbers to... Uh, contains some type of carryover estimates in there. Uh, this is all snapshot in time, so these things are going to change. Um, but you can see the teams that right now are in pretty rough shape with the cap for next year. The Saints, Chargers, Dolphins, Bills, Broncos, Cowboys, Browns, um, Steelers, 49ers, Seahawks. I think those are the teams you can look at with their under $20 million in cap space uh, from the Cowboys down. Um, those teams are probably over the cap for next year. Um, you know, th- those are your teams that are going to have to do some things to create cap room. Now, obviously they will. Uh, but, you know, the, just uh, on its face value, you know, that's where it's at. Uh, teams that have a lot of cap room next year, Patriots around 122 million, Bears 111, Commanders ninety-four. Titans ninety one Texans eighty eight. Now I'm going with a pretty bullish approach to the cap. I'm saying it's going to jump to two fifty six. Uh, it could be lower. Obviously, that you know decreases everyone's cap room. But again, I think it's still those teams that I mentioned before. I don't think it'd fall by so much that the teams that have thirty million in projected room are somehow gonna you know fall under and you know be considered to be over the cap at some point. Um, I don't think that that will will happen um, you know to them uh, as for week one you know if you, you just look at uh, some of the teams in terms of the cap room here I'll just run through some of these teams you know 49ers had a great week they they were all over the Steelers Steelers don't typically play well in week one um, but they were all over them I saw a lot of that game I saw a lot of the Browns game Browns were dominant defensively um, you know they they. Didn't do much on offense. You've got to be worried about Deshaun Watson um, right now, and I know we don't read too much into these early, you know, early games, but you got to be worried about him. Um, Arizona gave it a shot. Vikings they're zero two now. They've, uh, you know, just basically the the things that they did last year that they they somehow won. They're losing this year, which would be pretty much expected. Uh, Cincinnati was terrible week one. They just got dominated by Cleveland. Uh, their offense couldn't do anything. Not much there. Raiders, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you find a way, and they they were able to do um, their stuff. Lions, you know, they, that was that Thursday game. Packers all over the Bears. Uh, that was a pretty dominant performance. You had the Seahawks, um, Jets. You know, I mentioned before, Bears were terrible. Um, Titans, Cowboys, you know, let, let, let me actually bring up the valuation tables for some of the players here Give me a second. Let me look those up. So we had our valuations for the first week. These will typically come out on Wednesdays. Sometimes I'm going to have to push it to Thursdays. It's going to depend on, um, when we get all the snap count data in and everything else. But if I can, I can get them in on a Tuesday night. Uh, Jacob doesn't have practice on Tuesdays, so... Hopefully, if I have all the data, I, I can run um the stuff for that. So you know, on a team by team basis, I really should have just done this right from the start. Uh, Dolphins were a top team; they got incredible value. You know that the that was a dominant offensive performance. That was a that was a really fun football game. Uh, Dolphins and Chargers, just two teams, just going at it. Um, you know, offensively, Chargers defensively had to be disappointing. You've got these two high-paid pass rushers doing nothing. Um, you know, Rams, you know, they, they were all over the Seahawks, um, you know, in that game. We had the Packers. you had Washington. That, that one surprises me a little bit. Washington at four. Jaguars at five. Cowboys six. Saints, Colts, 49ers, um, you know, kind of rounding out the top teams. Got on the bottom end here, um, you know the Giants who are atrocious, Seahawks bad, Chiefs not a good game, Bears terrible, uh, Steelers you know, nah eh, not good, um, you know there and you know in terms of values you know we, we I do these values based on kind of the salary cap structures or, I'm sorry the contract structures um, around the NFL. Now, these are based on formulas that I that I came up with a couple of years ago. So, you know, things might change a little bit. You know, I, I adjust the numbers based on the way the market has more or less moved at the position. Um, at some point, I probably have to revalue a little bit and uh, maneuver a little bit here with some of those numbers. But Stafford, yeah, is the top guy. Uh, Dolphins at uh, quarterback there, too. It was uh, second guy at 51 now. I know some some people are probably going to look at that and say, well... Shouldn't Tua have been the, the most valuable player? Like, his his numbers were off the charts. And they were. You know, his his numbers were terrific. Part of the thing I look at is um, snaps on these guys. I think his snaps were low. I, I don't necessarily use uh, percentage of snaps. This is more just like, you know, how many snaps do they play? Because over the course of the year, that kind of balances out. Um, but, you know, Miami was just moving the ball so much you didn't necessarily have the amount of plays that some of these other teams got. And that actually ended up hurting him with the way that we do these valuations. Uh, Mac Jones, 49-4. And then you had a big drop. Herbert at 40. Lawrence, at 37. Mahomes, 37. Goff, 36. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 34. And then you had your top defensive player, which was Max Crosby. Um, you know, just running through these real quick. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, number one at running back, wide receiver was Brandon Ayuk. Um, they had a tremendous game as well. He had a lot of good receivers, you know, having big games. Tight end was Hunter Henry. There was really nothing jumping out at that position. Uh, we got our tackles. I don't think anyone really cares about the offensive line. Don't get too excited with that. Sorry, offensive linemen, if you're listening. Uh, Pass rusher, we talked about Crosby, interior defensive line, Autry out in Tennessee, linebackers, Micah Parsons. I probably should just change him to an edge at this point um, because that's really what he plays. Uh, So really, I I probably should put him there. His valuation is based on being an edge, um, but I list him as a linebacker. I probably should change that. Um, safety Jesse Bates and Jordan Whitehead they both had ridiculous games with the amount of turnovers they created and at cornerback our top players Tyson Campbell was your top guy AJ Terrell in Atlanta uh, Douglas in Green Bay Um, you know so I'll run these every week Uh, hopefully they'll be out Wednesday morning most of the time Um, you know but we'll, we'll see how that schedule works out uh, for keeping those up. But you know, that, that was the way that we just kind of valued the teams. I, I just think they're kind of fun things to use and you know, they, they help me gauge some of the guys for free agency, even though the valuations are by no means a projection of free agent value. Um, so anyway, just so everybody knows every week we do put, um, put these up. We, we do put up the numbers and, um, you know, that, that's in the, the main section um, that you can get. And for on the premium side, you know, you, you can get the numbers for each week, um, you know, laid out. We have a couple of seasons in there, um, you know, for when I've been doing these. I, I do have numbers um, for players for each season on the whole, uh, going back to probably 2013. But I didn't really put that kind of stuff online, so... Um, I don't know if I'll put those up or not. All right, so let's grab another drink and then we'll get into questions here. So let me just pause this to get a drink for a second. And then I'll jump back on the recording. All right, so let's get into questions here. I don't think there should be too many um, because I didn't even put out a... A thing for this until pretty late, and it was probably after 11 o'clock, or around 11 o'clock Eastern time, when I put out a tweet saying, hey, you got any questions, uh, let me know. Um, so email, uh, a couple from earlier in the week, this is from uh, John, uh, let's see, love the pod, a couple of weeks ago he went on a bit of a rant, Uh signing a long-term contract, usually bad for the player, because the market moves so much, for four to five years, in essence you're buying, players should uh, pursue shorter contracts, and therefore have another crack at the Apple and Free Agency. However, I also think that you're missing a big component to the argument that illustrates your point further, and that is, in general, when a player gets cut, it leaves an odor about the player, makes them less desirable. Um, player that finished three-year contract much more desirable to a team that was cut after year three of a five-year deal. I wonder if you have data to look at that. So, yeah, so that that's a really good point. Um, you know, I, I've brought that up before, um, not discussing that explicitly, at least I, I don't think. Um, maybe in the past in one of the uh, the random times where I was going over that you, you know I would bring that up but that is absolutely true So if you if you do a study on street free agents and we're just talking about veteran street free agents like we'll take out of the equation um, you know most of your street guys which are you know rookie kind of players um, you know who are just constantly going up and down up and down uh, rosters. If you take them out and you look at veteran players, typically the lowest valued players are street free agents. So a lot of times, like when I do um, some of the stuff maybe that, that that I occasionally do in the premium stuff, uh, when I have time to, to put out some of the um, uh, different studies of uh, players here and there, Um, But usually when I do consulting things, I usually break the market down into tiers. uh, Depending on how many players, there's going to be four tiers or five tiers. And when you get down into the salary structures of, you know, your tier four, tier five, it's almost all street free agents, all players who have been cut from a prior contract. When you look at your tier one, tier two, tier three, very rarely do you ever find a street free agent in there. You know, once in a while you do. You know, once in a while, there will be a player who was released, um, you know, or had his tender withdrawn or something like that, that actually does go out and sign a, a pretty big contract. Uh, but for the most part, you know, when you're cut, it's absolutely true. Teams look negatively at you. They do not look positively on you at, at all. Um, you know, around the league there's a consideration like, okay, you were cut from a team. There's probably not going to be a big market for you. And it absolutely does. There is absolutely um, much more that's gained from hitting free agency off of a three-year expired contract versus a player probably being the same level of player who was cut Uh, from what you mentioned there is a five-year deal. Um, Find the the specific data to back that up? I think you probably could. And I think one of the things that you can do when you look at that is take a look at a couple of these street-free agents um, who go out there and do sign those one-year... They're not really prove-it contracts. I mean, really what they are is I need to stay in the NFL kind of contracts. But... You can see for the guys who play well, and sometimes playing well is really just playing just as they did on the last contract they were at, just with a lot lower expectations. You know, they come back and they sign a contract that's significantly more, or at least more, um, than when they were a player that was just coming off of being terminated. Um, You know, the, the other things too, I mean, in that same regard, which maybe helps the true free agents, True free agents hit free agency all at the same time, right? All in March. You might be one of these players who gets cut, but you're not getting cut until later in March. You're not getting cut until April. Um, you know, maybe the team tries to get a pay cut with you. So you end up a little bit later in the process. But yeah, it's true. You know, the the, the divorce from the team becomes very public with the release and why the player is released. And once the player is gone... Um, the, the people who talk about the team, you know, it's begin to talk very negatively on that player. Is media covering the team, whether that's just fans in general, um, you know, as a Jets fan, you know, I'll just say, you know, Elijah Moore. And, you know, when Elijah Moore is on the Jets, it's all about, you know, he showed so much. You know, of course, he's angry he's not getting the ball. He's a competitor. Um, you know, he showed so much promise as a rookie. He did so well. The Jets need to get him involved. The offensive coordinator sucks. He's just not doing a good job with it. Finally, he moves off to Cleveland. And the opinion that comes out from the people talking about the team, not, not, not so much people covering the team. Um, I don't know how much they, they really did on that at all. But, you know, the, the people that talk about the team, you know, fans of the team and everything else, you're coming out and you're basically now saying, yeah, he's not that big of a part of the offense. Like, it's not that big of a deal to lose him. Having that pick to help get Aaron Rodgers way more valuable than having Elijah Moore, um, you know, you become very negative. And the same thing happens in front offices. The, the kind of conversations that happen a lot of times there is no different than the conversations that you and I have on this podcast. It's no different. Um, It carries more weight because these are the guys making decisions for a team. But, you know, those types of conversations are, you know, pretty universal. Um, Lucky enough to interact with people who do work for teams um, and do work in the league. You know, I, I always find it you know, kinda of funny that, you know, when you sit there and you talk football with someone, um, you know, for me my my own little, you know, niche of football, which is kind of salary cap and contracts. Um but when you do that, it's like you just have whatever kind of conversations with people you can just fit right in seamlessly without any kind of issue. Um, you know, and it's all the same kind of stuff that you say. And you you can debate about, you know, Certain things most of the time, it just it's more pleasant conversations, but uh, you know, it's just a pretty normal way that I think people uh, look at things, and it's absolutely true. You know, as a fan, you look at a player who's been cut as like a bad player, and as a team, you kind of look at that the same way, you know. And it's funny, you know, (laughs) just another thing in that regard. So, Whitehead had that great game for the Jets, right see the defensive coordinator coming out and he's like, Hey, you know, he was, we, we said it, you know, he was a pro bowl level player last year. If he just would have held on to a couple of those picks and, um, you know, we love him so much. And, you know, he's such a big part. And it's like, you hear that. It's like, man, if I'm Jordan Whitehead, if I'm his agent, I'd be like, then why did you make me take a pay cut? Why did I take a $2 million pay cut? If you're telling me I was a pro bowl level player, you know, why did you go out and trade for another safety? Like, you know, it's just, but it's the heat of the moment kind of stuff. You know, he was not great last year. He was okay. And week one, he was great. And I just, it's like, yeah, we, you know, everything is wonderful there. All right. Uh is a question from Joe. Uh What would you as a Jets fan give up in a trade for Kirk Cousins? How feasible is it for both teams salary cap wise? Uh The Jets can't bring in another guy at like 35 million bucks. Um, Cap-wise, let's take a look here. Let's look at Kirk. You know, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe they, they... I don't remember if they restructured his deal completely. I think they did a partial. Um, so he has a $10 million base. base. Um, you know, from the perspective of the Vikings... 28 5 million would be dead next year, 10 two five this year. Um, that's a possibility, you know, at a salary of 10 million. Yeah, you know, I before I said no, um, you know, Jets could probably absorb that. You know, he's you know already played two games, so that number would go down. Um, he could win with the Jets. It's the same concept. Like, he, he wouldn't pull you anywhere. He would, you know, and it would just be the one year. I just don't know what you would give up for that. Like, the, I, I think they would look for too much in return. Uh, I don't believe the Jets can trade their number one next year because the the Packers still could technically get it even though there's no actual way they can. Um, so I, I think the the Jets are kind of locked into that. I can't imagine the Vikings, you know, doing a future one. I, I mean, I guess... I I don't know how much the league would frown on it. I guess if the, the Jets... This is not a kind of trade that happens at all in the NFL, but I, I wonder if you could do a trade... That was basically, because they do these with conditional compensatory picks, where if you have it, you get it. If not, you get this instead. I wonder if they could do something that would be, you've traded for Kirk Cousins, you've given a third round pick in 2023. uh, I'm sorry, in 2024. It'll be a first round pick in 2024 if the Jets have their first rounder. If they don't, it would be a first-round pick in 2025. Um, I guess you could do that. That That's probably the way you would have to do it. I'm not saying you'd give up a number one for them, or that they should. I, I'm just trying to come up with the way, you know, maybe the mechanics on something like that would work. Um, you know, I, I, I think... I think that's kind of how you would have to do it. Um, as for what I would give up for him, I don't know. I I, I just I don't even know if I'd give up a two. Like I, I I understand you're you're desperate. You're looking to rent a quarterback and whatnot. I don't know. I I just don't know what the upside is that's there. Now he's played outdoors before. It's not like he's you know just always a dome player. You know because he played with Washington for all those years too. I just don't know what would be worthwhile, what would make sense for both of those, both of the teams, um, you know, to kind of have it work out. Uh, as for the Vikings, you know, the other part of the question is, do you think they will consider selling off pieces? Trade deadline, focus on positioning them, positioning themselves, draft rookie quarterback. Um, yeah, I do. I, I think that's absolutely the case with them. I think the question is, and I do not know what kind of chaos this would create within the fan base of Minnesota. I know this is going to sound crazy, um, but the the logical trade guy with Minnesota is Justin Jefferson. Um, you know, I, I'm on the record saying he should be the first legitimate thirty million dollar a year non quarterback offensive player. Um, you know, absolutely. I think that that's the case. Um, nothing, uh, you know, but, uh, I, I, I don't know. It, it's a tough one. You know, you, you bring in a rookie quarterback and you do want to have receivers there obviously for him, you know, and Justin Jefferson's the best in the NFL, but the way those receiver curves work too it's the question of you know are you wasting the years of Justin Jefferson by having the rookie quarterback i don't know the answer to that question um you know they they were you know talked about mike evans the other week you know mike evans is thousand yard receiver for like 10 years um you know could that happen with justin jefferson absolutely it might happen but, uh, you know, I, I think if there's, there's a guy that you're looking at as a, you know, sell-off pieces player, you almost feel like that's the guy, um, you know, that you would do that with to try to position yourself to get the quarterback. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And it's very hard to manipulate. It's not like Basketball. It's hard to manipulate the results in games and it's not the easiest to manipulate draft position but I do think that they will certainly actively be looking to uh, you know to move guys um, the other thing and you know j- just off target here but when I uh, when I woke up uh, must have been Friday. Uh, probably after I actually, maybe not waking up, I played basketball in the mornings um, sometimes. So, probably getting finished with basketball, you know, eight o'clock or something like that. And I saw the, and it was probably later than this, the, even that I noticed, that I saw a statement from the Vikings about, um, you know, Madison and, uh, you know, racist stuff. And my first thought was Eagles fans or whatever. I'm like, why is the Vikings putting out a statement on this? And, yeah, then you read that stuff uh, that went on. Like, I, I just don't get what people, what people do, and and I get how we get wrapped up in this, right? Like, I have a website on this, a podcast on it, and everything else. You should not be going into forgetting even just the the crazy stuff with it. Just uh, whatever he was saying that he was getting all kinds of racial stuff thrown at him. But just in general, what, what what do you gain by going into someone's DMs if they have them open um, or whatever social media platform and posting that stuff? Like, I, I don't understand that. I never have. I've never understood the concept of, like, if I, if I write something, for example, about a player, uh, whether it's a positive or a negative... I don't understand the concept of, you know, tagging the player in that and looking for them to try to respond. And people do that. You know, I, I hate sometimes when I put that stuff out and someone will tag someone in there. And it's not because you like, well, you don't want them to see it, you know, positive or negative. It's just, it's a silly thing. You know, people find things organically. Like I've had articles that have gotten tweeted out because someone found something, uh, on a positive side, I've had people put stuff out on a negative side. Um, you know, I always talk about the, the two that always stand out to me was, uh, I think when I first did it, there's a uh, Doug Baldwin getting his first extension, you know, and was like, hey, you know, saving receipts, you know, kind of thing, and, you know, retweeted something I'd put out there. Um, I think that was him at least. And then the other one was Demario Davis. It was the same thing. You know, I, I mentioned about like, what? Like, what are, they, what are they doing with that? And, you know, he just uh, put something there. And it's nothing bad, but it's not like I tagged them. It's like, okay, you find it, you find it. Um, <laughs> you know, I just don't get the purpose of that. Like, these guys have jobs to do. It's a very high-pressure situation. And I get all these things are there, but, like, why even do that? Like, you have your opportunities to go on a message board, complain about someone, you know, go on Twitter, complain about them. You don't have to directly go to them and just throw whatever at them, like there's just no point to it. I I just don't, I don't really get that. All right, let's go to the Twitter questions here and then we'll wrap some stuff up. All right, let's see. there's a couple questions, I think. Alex, uh, does any, uh, does Rogers injury save any money towards the cap? Uh, until we find out if there's some kind of specific insurance policy, uh, the answer is no. And it doesn't save any money on the cap this year. It would be next year that you might get some kind of credits and or a uh, reduction of the signing bonus money. Jason Stark, what do the Jets do at quarterback? Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll take a million bucks to play for him. Um, whatever the minimum is. You know, I'll, I'll take my $750. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I thought they should have signed... Um, you know, Wentz or McCoy this week, you know, that that type of player. Uh, I don't think this is a situation you can wait and say, well, let's see if we can trade for Kirk Cousins. Let's see if we can trade for Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know, and I don't know. I, I think it looks worse if Wilson goes out and has an awful game against Dallas this week and then you sign a quarterback. I'd rather it just be that you sign someone then, and you're just like, well, we know we need a backup, um, you know. But that that's that's just my my gut feeling on it is they should have signed someone uh, to get used to being on the team the next couple of weeks, and then you kind of evaluate where things are after a couple of games. Says, what are the capital implications if the Jets trade for Kirk Cousins? So, you know, Cousins is uh, basically ten million dollars over the course of the year. So you divide that by eighteen, you know, to come up with a number. So, you know, just you know, roughly you know, five hundred thousand dollars a week in salary. So right now you'd be on the hook for about nine million dollars if you traded for him, and you know, each week it's going to get smaller and smaller. So that that's probably about, um, you know, what the numbers would be this week. And just take off of that like 500 grand per week. Jones saga seems over for now, but what's next for the Chiefs and Jones given no long-term deal in your opinion? This is from MB3. Um, I think you just wait to see how the season goes. You know, my, my assumption is if he plays incredibly well again, they will franchise tag him. And they will make an effort to make an extension uh, at that point, you know, to make a a contract offer for probably three years. And then the ball will be in his court as to whether or not he accepts that or decides to go in a different direction. Um, You know, and just play on the tag and hold out until the regular season starts. Um, (coughs) If he doesn't play like he did last year, I do think they'll let him walk. Um, I think if Chris Jones plays at the level that he played in all the other years, which is still a pretty good level. Um, I think they would let him walk given his age and the salary expectations and everything else. I I think they would let him uh, walk and they'll they'll take whatever compensatory pick um, that they would get in the process. Let's see. Uh, this is from Mark. Any reason why we have special rules for June one? Why not make all transactions in the league year treated the same? So the the main reason for that is basically because you you have to carry an off season roster of ninety players, and some of those players are going to get signing bonuses. Some of those players are uh, going to have salary guarantees, but m- mainly signing bonuses. That uh, when we're talking about June one. Um, You know, and you make changes to your roster and you have to cut players, right? You've got to cut players in order to function. If you have a good rookie and that rookie deserves to make the team over a veteran, sometimes you don't have the ability to release that veteran player if all of the salary cap money accelerated into this year. So, really, what what it is, it's to allow teams to get their roster down to a certain level um, once the, the preseason starts, uh, you know, and still comply with the salary cap. Now, I think the June 1 date is okay. I think they could probably move that date up, um, you know, actually a little bit. I think that would make things a little easier, but... Um, You know, I I think the different different things that maybe I would look for, and it's not really a June 1 thing, it's more about, like, what counts in the... Like, there's no reason to have 51 players count instead of 53. Like, that, to me, is kind of a waste. Um, But for the June 1 thing, it's just so teams can make moves uh, pretty much with the veteran players without destroying their cap. Craig, any thoughts on the 49ers restructures to open up so much money this season? Is it solely to carry into next year? Yes. So I did a whole podcast on that last week. So if you didn't check it out, um, you can skip into there. There's a timestamp as to uh, maximizing cap carryover or, you know, just some things into doing carryover on the the cap. So if you go onto YouTube and you uh, check it out on there, you can just skip very quickly that section on it. If not, you can just, uh, whatever whatever way you, you get the podcast, um, you know, you, you can just jump jump through it real quick. And when you get into the section on um, contract carryover, that was mainly with the 49ers in mind, uh, that that's what they were doing. Black Gold, when can the Jets trade the first if they wanted? Does Green Bay have to give permission or does the snap requirement have to be failed sometime in a few weeks? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't know if it's already considered a given in the eyes of the league. I would guess it's not, simply because you know the way they do all their incentives when it comes to contracts uh, is basically all the stuff is done after the season, and I would think trades work the same way. And I don't think you can renegotiate the terms of a trade um, after the trade has been agreed to by the league. So I think you would have to do that, that kind of thing that I mentioned before. Uh, when talking about Cousins, where it's a conditional one. Basically, it's a base three, conditional one, and then that number one would carry over to next year because you would probably have to have the number one that carries to both years. As a question here, what options do the Raiders have for terminating Chandler Jones's contract? So that would wind up in some type of grievance if they did that. So I, I don't really know what the situation is with Chandler Jones. I, I'm not really feeling it. But uh you know, you can see here they already paid almost all his salary for the year. So his base is one one six five, you know, he's got these other numbers. Um, you know, this eight five roster bonus, but this was converted to a signing bonus. Uh, 748 per game that's uh that's fine and the 252 is fine um but a lot of this other stuff was converted um I'm sorry the the roster bonus was not converted um you know but a lot of his salary was so that that's kind of a sunk cost for them you know they can try to withhold that and whatnot but I mean if you cut him you know he's gonna have 12 three dead Next year, um, which probably going to have no matter what. So, you know, I, I don't think they really have much in the way of an option to recover money. Um, you know, but it it just depends on the way things go. Is if they can, uh, you know, subject to forfeiture on the restructure bonus, subject to forfeiture on this year's roster bonus, and just look to recover money and, you know, kind of figure out what they can do next to kind of move on from him. Um, but yeah, it's not a, it's probably not a great situation. Davey, can I have a little money? Not for me. <laughs> but ask anyone else. They, they they might help you out there. Uh, Whiskey Bravo. How do you foresee the NFL salary cap moving forward? The new TV streaming deals are going to have a big impact. Their teams already posturing for this and how they manage the cap. Maybe to some extent. And the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause about my uh, projection on the salary cap next year is you do see a couple of teams really trying to maximize what they bring over to next year. Um, But, you know, my assumption is, you know, the salary cap should go up by a pretty good amount. Um, I think one of the problems is that what we're seeing now is still impacted by covid uh, as crazy as that sounds, um, you know, typically where we would be right now is probably a baseline of, uh, let's see. We were at 198 in 2020. You probably would have been in the two thirties right now, um, you know, you, you go back to the the way the, the last T V deals came in, uh you went from a flat cap to, you know, a raise of I think it was like fifteen million the first year and then like ten million each year thereafter. Um and I, I think the same thing will happen. I think it'll be a pretty steady increase. It's just a question of how much it increases in the first year, um, you know, because of COVID and because of it, like how How can they ease it in to where you don't get this giant bounce right up front? Um, The NFL had done the contract with the players back in 2005, I think it was. Um, The salary cap jumped in 2006, if I have my ears right there, by a tremendous amount. And it forced teams to spend so much more. That was a CBA they could opt out of. They very quickly opted out of it. It was like, all right, this formula sucks. Like, we, we agreed to it to get a deal done. It stinks. We need to to move off this deal. Um, I think the NFL just wants to make sure that that never happens again. And if, if you look at what happened from 2011 onward, it was steady. It was predictable. Um, you never had a spike that had that required the teams just to comply with the rules to really just redo, um, you know, all types of contract structures to you know increase the salaries paid to players. So, you know, I, I think that uh, the league will be very steady with the way that it happens. But yeah, I do think when you you look at the way teams are deferring money. They're very clearly under the impression that there's more money in the future um, that's there, so you can spend a little more now, um, knowing that you'll have an ability in the future to kind of uh, cover some of those sunk costs. What a fun guy! Assuming Cousins hits free agency after the year, what kind of contract do you envision? How likely is he makes to free agency? I don't know. I, I well, okay. I think he should make it a free agency. I can't see why the Vikings would continue to go with that, um, but you—I guess you never know, right? I don't know. I—I I, I almost feel like if he goes to free agency, um, it would probably be similar to like a Derek Carr kind of contract. Um, I think that's what that would. Uh, what it would probably be like would be in that level. You know, low 30 million dollars. Um I I think that's where it would be. Brian, so wanna go to any Jets games now? Oh, uh, come on, man. Don't dig the knife in deeper. Um probably still won't be going to any Jets games. You know, if if it was cheap enough and it wasn't supposed to be freezing cold and for some reason my son was like I really want to go to a Jets game. He, trust me, he's not going to be asking about that this year. Um, you know, maybe I would go now. But no. Um, you know, just not too uh, not too interesting. Uh, Mason, over the last decade, what team has carried the most dead money over a two-year period? I'd have to look that up. My guess on that would be the Saints. Uh, because the Saints had... Uh, they had a, a period back-to-back-to-back to back to back where they had a ridiculous amount of money that was dead money. It was like in those three years, they totaled an entire season's salary cap in dead money. So I think it would be those two. Certainly as a percentage of the cap, it would have to be those that team like two times over. Um but you know, I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know exactly what. But I, I think that would be, um, that would be that. All right. So I think that does it for me. It looks like that's all the questions. Um, timeline here. Nothing too much. Um, so anyway, yeah, that that. Uh, that should cover pretty much all the uh, all the questions for this week. So uh, hopefully I'll be back next week. Uh, we'll see. I think Jacob, once again, has an early football game, and this time we don't have stuff uh, planned for later in the day that I know of. So hopefully I'll be able to come back next week. We'll do another podcast. Hopefully the Jets will find a way to pull something out in Dallas. I'm sure you won't be listening to this, uh, to this until after that game is done anyway. But uh, I guess we'll see. But uh, everybody have a great week. Um, hopefully all your teams win tomorrow, unless you are a Cowboys fan. I hope your team loses. Uh, so everybody have a, uh, a great week and I will talk to you all again soon.